It is good to be with you today. <clears throat> and um, yes, I don't know, David, if the uh, calendar maker had that in mind, but uh, I was uh, uh, pleased to uh, be able to be here, especially on a hymn sing Sunday. And um, in fact, we have missed uh, a number of them since we had uh, moved to North Carolina. <clears throat> and um, the um, it just worked out this time. It's, it's good that we can be here to join you on this special day and uh, to be back. It's good to see all of you. And um, appreciated the worship so far. And uh, thank you, Joe, for your uh, comments on the, the Sunday school lesson. And um, what, a, what a good lesson for us to think about that, that living water water that brings life, and I'm thankful for this uh, glass of water here too. It may not bring uh, eternal life, but it does bring some uh, relief from my thirst. A while back, I um, took our uh, congregation there at Caswell through a study of John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and um, I would like to uh, revisit one of those with you. Uh, you can turn to Second John, and uh, this is, of course, a very small letter, um, but it was probably, uh, it's probably one of my highlights uh, in his writings. Now, uh, this is the, the John that uh, was banished on the Isle of Patmos. He wrote Revelation, and uh, so sometime after that, he, he went, uh, he didn't die there on that island, he came back. And he went on to, uh, uh, to be a church leader. And, and apparently he was responsible for a number of churches, kind of maybe like a bishop. Um, and a lot of their work was done with letters. And we're fortunate to have these letters recorded uh, that he wrote. Now, Second John is, is kind of unique. Um, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's not written to a directly to a church or a church leader. But it's written to a lady. Um, he says the elect lady or a chosen lady, you might say. Um, and some would interpret uh, this address uh, figuratively that he was referring to the church. Um, you know, sometimes we refer to the, the church as the bride, or, or and so we use the, the feminine uh, attachment there of, of her. And so some people feel that way. Um, I don't uh, take that position. I think it is a letter that is directly uh, written to a lady and uh, as you kind of read through it, it just seems to indicate that more and more. Um, let's, uh, I'd like to just read this uh, short little book here of Second John uh, at this time, and we'll come back and look at some of the things here in this passage. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. 
I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Well, as I, as, as I said, it's a, it's a short little letter, but I think there's so many things here and different things we could look at. I want to focus on a couple of things, um, and that is, uh, well, I want, I want to make some introductory remarks about, about his address to this uh, chosen lady, but we also want to look at truth. We want to look at love. <clears throat> now, we don't know who this lady was. I don't know much about her at all. However, we can glean a couple of things from just uh, looking at, uh, at the, the things that he wrote um, and can learn just a few things uh, from that. Um, she must have been an outstanding person um, and one with probably some influence. Uh, after all, it was, uh, he, he, maybe, he probably wouldn't have addressed her if she didn't have some sort of influence on um, those that were of her charge. He speaks of her children. Um, elect means chosen. Uh, so she was a chosen lady. Um, as is used in the Greek, it means a simply a Christian woman. Um, so we know that she was an upright person. And I think it's significant that she is addressed in this manner. Um, to be a, a recipient of the letter speaks well of her life. It speaks well of her service. It um, speaks well of her testimony and who she was and, and who she apparently demonstrated herself to be among others, especially in the church. Uh, and she apparently lived somewhere in the, the circuit of the churches that John was responsible for. The uh, message of encouragement is not just for leaders. The message of encouragement is also for families and individuals. It's for all. And John was aware of the needs of those that were in his care. He was aware that that uh, not only is it important to encourage 
leaders of churches, but it's important to encourage everyone, families and children. And so this is what makes this letter a little bit unique. He also saw the importance or the important part that women fill in the role of the church. And it seems a little unusual that, that he would address a lady like this. But apparently he saw that, that this was, uh, she fulfilled an important role. And I realize that next Sunday is Mother's Day, and I don't want to take someone's thunder, but there's some real uh, good lessons here um, for a, a Mother's Day message. Maybe we can just give them two Sundays worth. Um, he saw the, important that, that the, the importance that godly women have in the life of the church um, through their families and, and through um, serving in, in the church in different capacities. <clears throat> Especially older women, a matron in this case, um, in the life of those who are following their example. Uh, sometimes women despair of their age that, and they don't like to talk about it. But you know that something to me is honorable about older women and that's something that we need to honor because uh, they have so much that we can learn from and so much that younger women can learn from, from them. And they fulfill an important role. Uh, in the life of the church. So God bless you older women and continue doing what, what you are doing. Continue to be that example to others uh, in the church and, and those who see you as an example in their life. Um, the life in, in the home is so important. Mothers fulfill a, a huge role in, in our families in teaching and training. In fact, I've said before, they they probably bear most of the burden in teaching and training our children. Maybe it really shouldn't be that unbalanced, but sometimes that's just the way it is. They, they spend more time at home with the children than us men do. We're, we're out working and traveling and, and whatnot. And uh, so they just naturally fulfill that important role. Henry Ware wrote these, the words to this familiar hymn, Happy the home when God is there. And love fills every breast. When one their wish and one their prayer and one their heavenly rest. O-N-E, one. It's unit, it's, it's, there's unity. Happy the home where Jesus' name is sweet to every ear. Where children early speak his fame and parents hold him dear. Happy the home where prayer is heard. And praise each day does rise. Where parents love the sacred word and all its wisdom prize. Lord, let us in our homes agree this blessed peace to gain. Unite our hearts in love to thee, and love to all will reign. Now that's a, a picture of, of what home life should be. Unfortunately, it's not the case for many, many people. But we're blessed. Many of us are blessed to have godly homes, to have, have been brought up in Christian homes where there was love. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm careful about exploiting that too much, but I feel like I must because it's so important. And it's important for us to create that for our own families today. But um, in our congregation, there are a number of people who had very bad homes. And um, they didn't feel that blessing. They didn't experience 
what many of us have experienced. And um, it can be pretty difficult uh, for them to try to, to, to create their own path. And with God's help, they are doing that. John's desire for this chosen lady is for a divine blessing, that God's blessing would be upon them and those of her charge. He says grace, mercy, and peace. And that can only come from the true source. That can only come from one place, from God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. They are founded in truth and love. He said there in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ and from the Son of the Father in truth and love. And we want to talk about that uh, truth and love uh, here in, in just a bit. As we uh, move on into verses 4 to 6, that's where he begins to address truth and love. He says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth. Uh, the uh, King James has that worded just a bit different. Um, I think it says, um, find your children uh, walking, uh, of your children walking in truth. Um, today, truth seems to be an elusive thing. It's hard to know what is truth. Um, many people care little for it. They try to get around it if they can. Many times people will get on a witness stand in court and they may lay their hands on the Bible and swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth and then immediately proceed to lie and think nothing of it. The media today cannot be trusted with truth. It's difficult to find truth. We have to be careful what we're listening to because a lot of what we hear in politics simply cannot be believed. And it's been proven time and time again that it often is not truth. Nevertheless, the truth is out there and we can find it if we search for it. And more importantly, God has revealed his truth to us through the word of God. And so we can always go to that to know what truth really is. <clears throat> and when we find it, we must not only receive it, but we must be promoters of it. And we must uh, let people know what the truth is so that they know. We must be truth seekers and truth lovers. And in John's letter here, it brought great joy to him to see them walking in truth. Now, as I noted there in verse 4, he said, Some of your children or of your children are walking in truth. And I find that an interesting way that he writes uh, the letter. Um, Apparently, not all were walking in truth, and that would be a realistic assumption that not everyone was walking in truth. We see that in the world around us. We see that in families, Christian families. Sometimes not all choose to walk in truth. But yet, he's not critical 
of those who are not, but he's encouraging those who are. In fact, he could have said something like this, and you could, you could tell me later if you think this sounds familiar. I am concerned that some of your children are not walking in the truth. Is anything wrong with that statement? Well, no, it's, it's perfectly fine to have that concern. And sometimes there is a place for that. But you see what John did here. He didn't focus on the negative, but he focused on that which was positive. And he said, he rejoices that some are walking in truth. And he didn't focus upon the negative. And I'm not saying there is not a time when we should do that. But I'm just pointing out that that is what John chose to do. That he rejoiced in the fact that some are walking in the truth. And that's a blessing to me because people need encouragement. Uh, maybe much more than they need criticism. <clears throat> the positive approach. Too often we focus, we tend to focus on what is wrong and not what is right. It's important when we're raising children that we commend our children for the things that they do right and for the things they're doing well. And there needs to be a good balance in that so that they learn and grow and, and become what we want them to be and what God wants them to be. There is a time for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness as the scripture tells us. Uh, we must choose those times wisely. When uh, Nate Saint and his fellow missionaries took the message of the gospel to the Wyodani tribes of, uh, in South America, you know, their eyes became open to the truth. They found out the truth. It took some time. It took almost a generation until they began to see that fully blossom out. In fact, if you're not totally familiar with that story. It's a, a good story to read and, and go follow up with, with uh, Nate's son, Steve, and that ministry that has continued to this day uh, in South America. And interestingly, as you read those stories, you'll find that, that the very river where Nate and his fellow uh, four other missionaries were martyred and speared to death is the same exact spot where Steve's grandchildren were baptized by one of the men who speared their grandfather. It's a, it's a tremendous story. And so as they came there, they brought love to these people, and the people responded to the truth. And it opened up their eyes, and, and they became, uh, for the most part, a civilized people. The same thing could be said of Otto Koning and his missionary work in Papua New Guinea. Um, these head-hunting tribes, as they became open to the truth, they, they put away all of their, their spears, their arrows, their uh, witchcraft, and they began to follow the Lord Jesus. And churches are there now um, where he had worked among those uh, tribes for many years. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, just focus a little bit about truth. I have some, some old notes that I found regarding truth. Just would like to briefly look at some of those. John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
That's a tremendous uh, thing to, to comprehend. That if we know the truth, the truth will make us free. Uh, here's some, some facts about truth. Truth never changes. Um, truth is that the, the sun is shining today. We could argue it. We could, we could pull the shades and, over the windows and, and disagree with it, but it doesn't change the, the fact, the truth, that the sun is shining. Even if there's, there's cloud cover, we know that there's still the sun is shining. Uh, for years, people thought the earth was flat. They found out they were wrong. Um, interestingly, I've discovered that there are still people who believe the earth is flat. Um, but that's, that doesn't change the truth. The, tr the, the truth is the earth has always been around ever since God created it. Uh, unless you want to go back there to that second verse of uh, Genesis 1 where it says it was without form. Um, maybe it wasn't around then. I'm not sure. Uh, but truth is changeless. And it is connected to God who is changeless. And it never changes. Truth never changes. Um, truth is also found in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is our, our path to the Father. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the path. That's the truth. That is, there is, um, there is something that is absolute about that. Uh, he said he is the only way. And so we find truth in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, truth also um, has, has a demand about it. Um, it. It is not, in other words, it is not variable. Uh, the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, does not uh, give any leeway for, for any other path. It, it, it's singular. And so we have to follow those demands if we want to understand truth, and if we want to have a path to the Father, we have to go through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. That's the truth. And, and that is unchanging. And so... If we want to learn and understand truth, then we have to bow to that demand. And we can't come up with our own plan and say, well, here's another way that we can get to truth. Our family was uh, recently traveling. In fact, we just uh, got back last week from a couple of weeks out west. Uh, one of the states we were in is Utah. And of course, you know, Utah is a big, uh, is big Mormon country and we were at a, um, a place to stay one night and uh, opened the drawer. I was expecting to maybe find the typical Gideon Bible, and here, lo and behold, is the Book of Mormon. And uh, so we had a little discussion about that. I was uh, thinking, you know, well, you know, before we mislead someone, maybe I should take that out and throw it away and put a Bible back in there. Um, but, you know, there's only one way to know the truth, and that's through Jesus Christ. Any other way that people have come up with, any other path. And, and, and there's a tendency in our society, you see, to embrace any religion and all religions that we all can find some good and, and you find in where, where you fit. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. 
And this is the only way we can come to the Father is through the truth. Uh, the fourth one here I have is truth is not altered by any, anything else like compromise or wrongdoing. And I think about Pilate at uh, the trial of Jesus says that Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus, whom he had scourged uh, to be crucified. Truth is absolute. In fact, it was Pilate who asked Jesus the question, what is truth? What is truth? And, and Jesus was standing right before him. He was the truth. He is the truth. And it was staring him in the face, and he didn't know it. Jesus, you see, was innocent, according to Roman law. And Pilate knew it. Pilate told the people, he said, I find no fault in him. But yet, he caved to political pressure. He abandoned what he knew was right. Trying to second-guess the Jewish leaders, Pilate then gave a decision that would please everyone and keep himself safe. But you see, he, he rejected the truth, and it didn't change the truth. The truth was still there. It didn't change. <clears throat> we cannot lay aside God's clear statements of right and wrong and make decisions based upon preferences of others. We must not do that. God promises to honor those who do right, not those who make other people feel good or happy. And uh, another one here, truth matches the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke 9.35, there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. It was a, a challenge that this is truth. Jesus, um, the Son, as God's Son, had that power and authority. And that voice came out to confirm that he was the truth. And that he, was, he had the authority and he must be listened to. In fact, in, um, in the New Testament, we have, uh, uh, Verily I say unto you, or I tell you the truth, occurs almost 80 times throughout there. The truth the truth. John 8, uh, verse 30 and 32, he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So truth sets us free. We find freedom in truth. Even though it's the only way, even though there's only one path, we find freedom. Jesus himself is that truth, and he sets us free. He's the, the source of truth. John 8, 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So he is that source of truth. Now, uh, back to our uh, passage here in Second John. <clears throat> there is a balance of truth and love. He says in verse uh, 5, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which ye have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So he's talking about truth, and then he starts talking about love. And I think they are a beautiful balance when we bring them together. Ephesians talks about uh, speaking the truth in love. When I worked in, um, 
EMS. Um, I was faced with that a number of times of, of um, speaking the truth. And uh, sometimes uh, there, there are people who would, would evade the truth with people, especially if you come to a situation where someone is really, really sick or maybe they've passed on. And, um, you know, nobody wants to be the one to tell the family uh, the bad news. And so some people just wouldn't say anything. Or sometimes I saw providers that would just blatantly lie and tell the family that he's going to be all right or she's going to be okay. And, you know, I could never bring myself to do that. And I felt like they needed to know the truth. But sometimes that truth needs to be tempered with love. And sometimes you have to ease people into the truth. But they must know the truth. And... Um, one maybe rather amusing situation I had, um, my children, I'm sure, have heard this story many times, but uh, we were called to a, I forget what the complaint was, uh, but it didn't seem too urgent. We, we had a pretty good ride out to the house. We got there, and there was a 102-year-old woman in a hospital-type bed, with, and her grandson was there with her. And um, a quick assessment revealed that uh, quickly determined that she was deceased. And um, the grandson was there, and he was cradling her head in his arms, and, and he was talking uh, nicely to her. And, and so, uh, you know, I um, wanted to gently um, inform him that, that she was gone. And so I did so. And it seemed like he took it well and understood it. And uh, so inwardly, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief and thought, well, you know, that's got the hard part over. Now we can move on. And uh, thinking about some other questions that I'd need to ask and uh, find out about family and who's where and who should we, you know, who they should be calling and try to help them walk through that, um, that time in, in his life. And um, so there was a little pause, and finally the man just kind of burst out, and he said, but isn't there something you can do? He said, don't you have one of those machines on your truck that you can bring them back to life? And so then I had to restart my thinking and, and again, to inform him some truth that, no, there's nothing I can do and that that uh, machine he's referring to is not going to be effective. And... Um, then there was this another awkward pause. And all of a sudden he burst out, but I believe in miracles. And so when I look around my partner, he's already vanished and probably sitting in the truck by now. And I guess he decided that, well, you're the preacher. I'm going to let you deal with that one. But so you see, sometimes we need to speak the truth, but it needs to be done in love. It needs to be, truth needs to be brought about in a way that people can understand it. And sometimes it may take some time until people absorb and understand the truth. And we need to understand that that's the way it is with, with people. I appreciate what was said in our Sunday school lesson. We we're talking about um, people that seemingly have everything they need and, and they, don't, they don't feel like they have need for living water. But you know, the more we probe, and, and maybe ask a few questions and just talk with people a little bit. It doesn't take long 
until you realize there are some deep needs in most people's lives. They have deep needs in their life that, um, and, and so it may take some, some time until we help them realize that they really are thirsty and hungry for truth. And that can open up opportunities to share with them. Balancing truth and love. It seems here that John's uh, chief concern seems to be that of, of love. He says in verse 5, I plead with you that you love one another. That you love one another. And rightly so. Love is that which binds the believers together. Love is not only a commandment, um, and it's not the first time that John brings it up. In fact, in his first letter, he said five times to love one another. It was part of, it was part of John's message, to love one another. Peter wrote it. Paul writes to love one another. And so it's more than just a command. It's important that we understand the, the, uh, the part that love plays in especially in a body of believers. We know how important love is in, in a family relationship, in a husband-wife relationship. It's absolutely essential. If there's no love, the marriage is going to fail. Uh, that, that's just the long and short of it. Love is absolutely essential. And churches, church bodies fail because a lack of love. Love is an ingredient that will will bind people together, it binds families together, it binds Christians together into the family of God. And the church knew how destructive it can be when love vanishes from our relationships. You see, love is one of those things that sets Christians apart from anything else from any other group, um, any other religion. If you study much uh, the Muslim religion, there's no love. There's hatred. And it doesn't work. Love is unique because it only comes from God. Real love only comes from God. We can't uh, conjure it up from any other source. Now, there are people that are not Christians, that may love their wife. But if you break it down, it's, it's the fact that they're loving those who are good to them. But true agape love is a love that breaks those bounds, those barriers of, of people who we really don't want to build a relationship with or we don't want to get too close with. Or maybe they rub us the wrong way. Agape love goes beyond that. And, and that's what makes it work. Because sometimes people in our own churches and maybe in our own families rub us the wrong way and say things that maybe they shouldn't have said. But you see, love is what smooths that out and, and smooths over those rough edges. And it sets the Christian apart. And it's what makes Christian life move along smoothly. 
1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, verses 6 to 8, says, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There we have truth and love coming together again. It rejoices in the truth. And so love wants to tell the truth, even when the truth is hard to tell. Even when it's difficult to, to, to say the things that are truthful. It bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It never fails. You know, thinking of, of speaking the truth in love. Uh, you know, we can speak the truth and sometimes it's not loving. I don't know if you ever read the, the story of Anne of Green Gables and when she uh, became very irri irritated with Mrs. Lynde and she just blurted out that she is fat and ugly and it didn't go over very well. Well, it may have been the truth, but it wasn't spoken in love. And so sometimes there are facts, there are truth, but we just can't say it. We have to speak the truth in love and sometimes love causes us to hold our tongues and not say everything that we think. And that is where we are to walk in. That's what John said, to walk in love. To walk in love. As we look then at uh, verses 7 and following, uh, he, he changes uh, course here just a bit and he talks about deceivers. Be aware of the deceivers. Be aware of the present error. And maybe there was something going on here uh, that we, we don't know about and I'm not sure. Uh, why would he be giving this elect lady such a warning? Um, perhaps she was a widow, we don't know. Uh, maybe she was a single woman. Um, maybe she uh, apparently didn't have a male leader in the home. And uh, sometimes our uh, widows and single women can be overlooked, and we need to be careful with that in church life. Um, so what is the warning? The warning is against the Antichrist or deceiver. Now, he's not warning against the Antichrist, as, we, as he wrote about in Revelation, but an Antichrist. In um, uh, 1 John 2, he made it clear that there will be many Antichrists. Um, and so a deceiver is anyone who denies Christ or anyone who does not speak the truth. Anyone who is not a truth giver or is clearly teaching something that is false would be a deceiver. Now, a deceiver, though, may speak things that are false, but it may be cloaked with truth or it may be mixed with truth. And that's what becomes so dangerous. And we need to be careful with that. And we need to be sure that um, we're not allowing things coming into our life and our homes that are mixed with truth and error. Um, it needs to be clear that um, what we have is the truth. And so a deceiver may come in and it may look like truth. And apparently that's what was happening here. Um, anyone who is a transgressor does not abide in the truth or the doctrine of God and yet teaches what he claims to be true. He is a deceiver. Um, you know, I think Ravi Zacharias is a stark reminder for all of us. 
you know, after his death, that ugly truth of, of an immoral life just began to spill out. Uh, a lot of people held him pretty high on a pedestal. Let's be careful. Be very careful who you listen to and uh, where your source of teaching is coming from, that it is based upon truth and the absolute truth. It's my understanding that it was a uh, common practice for uh, believers such as this chosen lady uh, to keep travelers in her home, or traveling teachers, I should say. And uh, sometimes these teachers were like the ones that are described here in this passage. Uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, um, let me be clear that I don't believe this is talking about common courtesy and hospitality to others. But this is clearly directed to teachers, to those who are in your midst to be a, a teacher of the word of God. If he is bringing error, those are the ones he says have nothing to do with them. Don't let them in your house. Do not give them your support or invest in them or give public approval to a false teacher. In such a way you would share in his evil deeds. And this is damaging to the church, to families. But I don't think it prevents us from greeting and inviting a stranger or anyone into our homes um, to share with them. We should not withhold charity or hospitality uh, with our neighbors and friends and family. <clears throat> that is outreach. That's what we're supposed to do. John uh, greeted this special lady and expressed a joy of anticipation of meeting her. Verse uh, 12 and 13, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Uh, maybe there's just a little lesson we could learn in there. In this age of technology and social media, it's so easy just to communicate without face-to-face. -face. Uh, he was looking for, he said, I don't want to text, I don't want to email, I don't want to write. I want to see you face-to-face. -face. I want to be there to share in your joy. And how important it is that we do that. That's why we meet together in church. We can't do it online. We can't do it through social media. We need to see each other face to face. And that's the joy that we can have when we work together and, and when we encourage one another and, and speak to one another face to face. That's where real joy comes in encouraging each other. And that's why I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here to see you face to face. I could have called in on the phone and given this message. I doubt that maybe many of you probably would not be awake by now. So it's good to be here and see you face to face. We need to encourage those that we love. 
We need to encourage our brothers and sisters, our family. Our church is our family. Positive encouragement is essential to vibrant spiritual growth. And if we're going to grow in our spiritual walk, we have to find that family, that, that church family that, that we can, we can uh, go to and, and engage with. That's, that's how we grow. That's how we learn. So may we learn from this uh, little short letter to take a warning for ourselves and uh, to be careful of how we learn, where we learn, the things that, that we engage in, the things that we go to for instruction. And let's not forsake our family. Let's not forsake our church. And let's not forsake that encouragement that we all need and that we need to give to others, to those that we love in the Lord. May the Lord bless you. And um, shall we have a song? And I'll turn it back over to Brother Dave.